Welcome to Inside Wild with me, James Starkey. And me, Jonathan Gullis. And we are delighted to be joined today by two great young MPs in Parliament. We've got Mark Fletcher, the Member of Parliament for Bolsover, newly elected in 2019, the new beast of Bolsover, although I'm sure he won't appreciate that title by the expression he's giving me on his face right now. But Mark is uh, an interesting chap. Mark is currently the Parliamentary Private Secretary, PPS, this term you've heard us use a couple of times on the pod before, to the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt at the moment. He served a former Chancellor in Kwasi Kwarteng, both as Chancellor and in the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, as it was known back then. And Mark is a, a northern lad, born and bred, but has a poor choice in football teams and supporting Arsenal. Uh, and then to his left, we have Alex Davis-Jones, the Labour MP for Pontypridd in South Wales and the first woman to represent her area. In Parliament, she is the Shadow Minister for Tech, Gambling and the Digital Economy and has recently led Labour's response to the online safety bill. Since Alex's election, she sat on various select committees and held a number of shadow ministerial briefs. And she's also chair of three active all-parliamentary party groups, which is what brought Alex and Mark together. They are the co-chairs of the APPG for wrestling. So we'll definitely want to go into that because that sounds very interesting. Outside of politics, Alex is a mum to her four-year-old son, Sullivan, and enjoys music, sport, and most importantly, likes to do a bit of shopping. So first of all, welcome to you both. Hello. Hello, good afternoon. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This episode is about what is a PPS, because it's this term, this acronym that we know that uh, Westminster loves so much, but ultimately the public will probably not have a clue. And this is an opportunity for the public to understand why a PPS is important. But we always like to start off by asking our guests what drove them into politics. So if we go to Alex first, then we'll come to you, Mark. Genuinely, I was nosy. And I wanted to know what was going on in my local area. I've always been passionate about finding out how it works, what's going on. And I was a bit disengaged and with what was going on and thought I could do that job. I could stand and represent my community. And it's what I've been doing since um, I was elected as a community councillor first back in, you know, the early 2010s and then stood for local authority and then stood for parliament. And it's the best job in the world. Go on, Mark. You share yours. Yours is a much simpler answer than mine. I'm a little bit jealous. Um, I didn't have uh, a lot of things going my way when I was younger. I grew up in Doncaster, which um, I thought was great, but had this sort of sense of it wasn't as great as it used to be. It was an ex-mining area. Um, and then I had some really difficult things happen to me when I was younger. And then eventually I reached a point at sixth form where I was really happy and had sort of found who I was. I'd come out as gay and things like that. And then my mum died. And... My mum was my best friend. I lived on my own with my mum. Uh, and I basically uh, made a deal with myself that I, to cope with it all, was going to make the world matter and go and try and change the world um, and make my life matter, rather. Uh, and so I decided that being an MP would be the best way to do that. That's really interesting, Mark. And I suppose really moving as well. And I've shared an office with Mark. For those who don't know, sometimes as MPs, we get buddied up with people. And Mark had to suffer with me uh, in Upper Committee Corridor North as it was known back then, and deal with my rantings and ravings. And I can tell you that Mark is an absolute hero for having to cope with me, as I'm sure all the listeners will empathise with fully. <laughs> but the APPG for wrestling, why? How did it come about? Okay, so the uh, version, I didn't know Alex existed, and Alex didn't know I existed. Uh, and version one um, was, I started taking some meetings in about February of 2020. Uh, I love wrestling. It's my escape from the world that we're in. I watch wrestling pretty much every week. Uh, and I love wrestling. Um, and actually, it's one of those things that lots of people sniff at, but it's a really big industry in terms of the amount of people involved, in terms of the amount of money involved. Um, but then as we went into COVID, 
uh, something called the Speaking Out movement happened, which was a whole series of horrendous allegations and stories about um, British wrestling and uh, sexual harassment in that. And that was when uh, Alex started to sort of, uh, or she appeared on the radar. Uh, and actually, Paul Bristow, who's a, a fellow MP for Peterborough, had got involved in a sort of a wrestling show near his, and he introduced us. And from there... We uh, became a tag team, if you want to take over at that point. <laughs> yeah, we did. And it was about finding other MPs who had a shared interest and a love of wrestling. I've always loved it since I was a little girl. It's been something that's a bit of an escapism. And I've loved watching the rise of female wrestling, particularly. Mm. As Mark said, it's a massive industry and really of a big importance to the UK. It's a big soft power that I don't think we make enough about uh, and an export around the world. And it was finding Mark, finding his shared love of wrestling, getting together to champion an, an industry that we love, an industry that was in trouble, an industry that needed support and really needed a voice. And we've give, I hope that the industry thinks that we've given it that. Yeah, and it, it slips below the radar. Lots of people think that it's it's a bit of a joke and, and it doesn't have a, like most sort of sports or indeed arts, depending on how you want to see it, uh, most of them have a regulatory body or a representative body. Wrestling has nothing of that type. And we did a, a really good, report, if I do say so myself, around a lot of the problems, everything from standards of rings through to personnel issues, through to concussion, which there's parallels with things like rugby on that, which Alex really helped with because she was on the DCMS committee at the time. Uh, sorry, Department for Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee. I, I think what most people don't realise is WWE did a show last year in Wales. It was 60,000 people. It's a massive deal. In 1992, WWE did Wembley Stadium. It was 80,000 people. The second biggest wrestling company in the world, the one that I absolutely love, AEW, is doing Wembley Stadium in August. The second biggest wrestling company in the world is trying to take on Wembley Stadium. Um, and that's the sort of size. They've already got 50,000 people who've pre-registered to get tickets for that show. It's a massive industry in this country, but most people don't know how good it is and they don't understand the issues behind it. Mark mentioned, you know, WWE came to Cardiff last year for the first time in over 25 years that they'd come to the UK to host a really big pay-per-view event. They sold out the stadium and we've just had the economic impact assessment this week and it's brought over 21 million to Wales as a result. So these aren't small numbers. This is hugely significant and an industry that needs all the support and all the championing it can get. And ultimately, when you go back, the things that we started with, uh, which were some of those allegations around sexual harassment, around um, actually much worse than that. There are some vulnerable people in and around wrestling. It attracts uh, often people who are sort of slightly different and they may not necessarily know what to do. And so having a safe industry and having something that is going above and beyond to protect those people is really important to both of us. Well, one of the things we want to wrestle with on Inside Wild. Oh, terrible. <laughs> Did you see that segue? It was brilliant. <laughs> um, one of the things we want to wrestle with is kind of understanding some of the terminology, as Jonathan said earlier, that we see all the time in Whitehall. And one thing that lots of people would be familiar with that read the coverage is uh, Parliamentary Private Sector, PPS, which a role that both of you have done. And first, I just wanted to get each of your takes on, at its central point, what exactly is a PPS? What is their day-to-day -day job? What do they do on a day-to-day -day basis? I don't know if you want to go first, uh, Mark. Well, th there's two qualifiers to this because it partly depends on who you're PPSing mm -hmm. uh, and, it and, and what they want and what they're sort of looking for. And it partly depends on what's happening um, and the sort of the department around it. But fundamentally... You're, if you become a Secretary of State or a Minister, you're actually taken away from Parliament rather mm. than back here more often. You have 
departmental responsibilities. You may travel abroad. You may travel around the country more. Um, and so actually you spend less time in Parliament uh, physically. And so a PPS's job, first and foremost, is to be the conduit for colleagues and backbenchers uh, and being able to relay their views to the Secretary of State and or Minister uh, or vice versa. Um, that's the sort of bread and butter. There's a second thing which is around supporting the ministerial team in the chamber. So whether that's coming up with ideas behind them, sort of suggestions, researching something in real time or passing notes from officials, you know, we sit directly behind whoever is at the dispatch box. Um, but there's a much, much broader element to it. And this is why it kind of depends on who your Secretary of State or who the Minister is and what they're looking for. So sometimes it's about solid political advice. Sometimes mm. whoever it is will say, what do you think about this? It's often about knowing your colleagues in encyclopedic detail. So if we had an announcement coming up or we had some thinking going on on, say, nuclear, um, I, I needed <laughs> I know to know <laughs> I, know I needed to know the sort of 10, 15 colleagues who would have an interest in that yeah. and be able to get them in the room pretty quickly. And I think Virginia Crosby is what uh, Jonathan was about to say. <laughs> um, but then there's a, another element to it, which is um, effectively you're also, as a PPS, you are part of the PPS team. Mm -hmm. So there are occasions in which you are, you're effectively first out to bat because you're still backbenchers or second benchers, you know, you're not within the government necessarily. And so if, you know, a minister needs support in the chamber uh, and it's not your department, there's an expectation that you'll be going into bat and going in to help and that you work together collectively. You are part somewhere between the WIP's office and the department. Um, you are there to try and be helpful. And is that much the same for you, Alex? Yeah, I, I would agree wholeheartedly. I think a PPS is a really, really important role. As Mark said, you are the eyes and ears of your department, of the minister or the secretary of state that you're PPSing to. You're finding out what is, what's going on in, in parliament with colleagues, what they're talking about, what issues matter to them, what, what they think the question should be this week, what they think we should be having a debate on, what is coming up in the constituency related to that brief. And you're relaying that information, you're arranging appointments with the minister or Secretary of State for colleagues to, to lobby or to challenge on constituency issues. And you really are that bridge between the rest of the parliamentary colleagues in, in your party and the Minister and the, and the Secretary of State. You're within the circle, but you're on the periphery. And I, I think that's an important role as well. So for Mark and I, as relatively new MPs, both elected in 2019 at the last general election, it is seen as the first job in government. It's your junior role. You're brought in to find out how it works. You're taught how cabinet works, how the um, front bench works. You are bound by collective responsibility without actually having a job on the payroll, as we call it, because it's not a paid position. Mm. You're doing it to support your brief and your team, but you're learning every single day about what it takes to be in government, what it takes to be in cabinet, that um, coming together as a team is really really important and then being that conduit between all of your colleagues one, one thing i thought was interesting um that you touched upon mark is when we interviewed michael gove and um, we were talking about kind of the process of making decisions some of the people he cited as really important to talk to is exactly uh, both the point that, uh, the point that both of you made which is being that confidant and so as well as going back and kind of knowing where mps are is being able to, as you put it, Mark, give that political advice. Is when it when are the points that a secretary of state, a shadow secretary of state, would bring you in, and is is there specific points when they would kind of go to discuss things with you? Well, again, it will depend on the secretary of state. 
uh, or the minister. Some of them are naturally big lovers of parliament. They will want to come here whenever they can and they want to sort of sit in the tea room themselves and chat to colleagues and that's they're very open and they need a slightly different sort of PPS to perhaps someone like me who like likes to chat to colleagues, likes to get to a feel of the place. Um, there are weekly ministerial meetings in most departments. And so within those, you will uh, often be called as part of the ministerial team to give your take. You talk a lot to the special advisors uh, and relay your um, sort of concerns, opinions, views, whatever. But there are times when, you know, you need to go and you need to say to the Secretary of State, I need you for five minutes and sit down and just say, this is a big problem, or I've had an idea. And so it, it's just a case of horses for courses, port. It will massively depend. Some some secretaries of state will not necessarily look kindly on PPSs. It will depend on how they want to see it. Uh, whereas others will be, you know, very open. I was lucky. My first secretary of state was Alec uh, before he went to COP. Uh, he was at Bayes. Then I had Quasi, and then I've done Quasi in the Treasury and also Jeremy in the Treasury. And all of them have been quite open to advice and conversations. And that's been helpful for me uh, because otherwise you feel a bit frustrated if you've got an idea or a concern and it's not listened to. But I know... You know, there have been other stories throughout the years of PPSs that perhaps didn't get that sort of um, uh, attention. Is that the same for you, Alex, in Labour? Like, do you have weekly shadow ministerial meetings? And obviously a, a challenge, whereas in Mark and the people he'll be working with have a civil service to be able to guide them. How are you guys, you know, engaging with policy? Is it policy advisors from Labour HQ? Is it uh, stakeholders? Or, you know, do you get time as well with the civil service at all to sort of be able to hold government accountable? So we do have weekly, you know, shadow ministerial meetings. We get, we'll get together as a team once a week. We'll talk about whatever is the key issues in the brief, whether we've got any key legislation coming forward, whether we think there's going to be a statement, whether there's been a big issue in the media that needs our attention. But we don't get any support from civil service. We're not in government. We we have to rely on stakeholders who are brilliant, um, those experts in the field and in, in, in the real world, but not in, inside the Westminster bubble, um, our policy advisors within the party and our own staff, you know, do, helping us and supporting us with our shadow ministerial briefs. It's It really is an all hands on deck kind of situation, which is why PPSs, I think, are so important in that role. And that's interesting because, of course, you've been a PPS to Rachel Reeves, the Shadow Chancellor. So obviously would have been overlooking quite serious things like the economy. And one of the things I've always admired is that when Jeremy, for example, stood up at the last statement, he obviously has his brief, he knows his speech, he gives Rachel some advance notice, but it's a matter of hours, not days. And watching Rachel frantically having to make notes and seeing PPSs, not yourself for that most occasion, but others passing notes or passing the phone, it's obviously because Rachel's got to deal with what's coming at her, which may not have appeared in the first draft of the statement or additional information that Jeremy may have suddenly thrown in. Like how how do you respond to that? Is there engagement? Are you got policy advisors on the phone to you? texting saying say this to Rachel or etc well I was never PPS duration in her shadow uh, chancellor role so it was when she was shadow cabinet secretary Apologies. but no it's fine but it, it works in the same way and they're, they're, because sadly there are fewer Labour MPs now than there were it's all hands on deck so not every shadow department has a PPS because there's just not enough of us to go around wow. um, but what we do is all hands on deck and also we can't be everywhere so we can't have a PPS in every Westminster Hall debate if there's, if there's the same brief being discussed in the main chamber because Parliament works 
you know, cohesively together where we've got debates happening in different chambers at different times or in committees. So today, for example, we had a debate in Westminster Hall on antisocial behaviour. I was in there speaking as a backbencher. I made a contribution. But I also managed to give Sarah Jones, who was the shadow minister responding to the debate, some information because while she was working, I was managing to find some stats for her that she could use or information about, you know, opposition colleagues that she could use. And it's it's all about all hands on deck, really. So it's whatever whatever information colleagues have got that they can pass to that front bench at the time to make our arguments as strong and robust as possible. It's all helpful. And Mark, to follow up on that, because, of course, like you say, you're now in Treasury, you've been in Bays. Like, how important is it to try and build a relationship with the private office of the Secretary of State or obviously the private office of the ministerial teams? Or again, is that reliant upon who's in the office and how much they want you to engage with that private office? It's really important. Um, in, in large part, uh, we were, just before we started recording this, I, I said to Alex, what's the first rule of being a PPS? And she said, don't be late. Um, and that is also the first rule of being a minister uh, in Parliament. You can't if you miss the start of a debate, you're in trouble. Uh, and so between the private office and the PPS, they have to make sure the minister's there on time. But if someone's late or are not appearing on time, the whips won't phone the private office or the minister. They'll look at the PPS and say, where is he or where is she? Uh, and so it's it's your problem. Uh, and believe me, I've had it where someone's not turned up um, and it, it's a nightmare. So you need to know the officials that will get will know where the minister is or the secretary of state is and who can make sure that if, if they've not left the department, they're leaving now because otherwise uh, it doesn't work. But also they need to understand your role and to be able to trust you because you need to have a copy of the brief and a copy of the speech. Uh, if a minister leaves a file somewhere and they don't have their notes in front of them, they're just winging it. And it might be something that in which you can't wing it. And so you are constantly trying to make sure that every worst case scenario on a sort of purely logistical basis is is avoided. One of the things that I'm curious of, it was referenced earlier, is because uh, I've never known this, even whilst uh, when I was working in politics, is what is on the notes that get passed through? So what are the kinds of things? Because I think we've all seen it when we see the, the Secretary of State or the Shadow at the dispatch box kind of lean over and receive a folded bit of paper. And then it's like, what, what, what is actually written on those? They're almost always incredibly dull. Really? Um, so, so you're going to tell us some juicy the, gossip? No, no, there will be. Um, so if a specific point is raised by uh, an opposition uh, MP, or indeed, a, it doesn't matter, by another MP, we may want a clarifying stat, or there might be a question asked. So people will often say, and I'd like to ask the Minister or the Secretary of State, you know, what about this? Uh, and often there are ministers in the, uh, sorry, there are officials in the room sort of looking away, swatting away to try and get that particular stat. And there's another team listening in the department trying to make sure that those stats are right. Uh, and so you want to give as much clarity at the dispatch box as you can. Um, sometimes, every now and then, there will be a note that's a little bit juicier. Um, mm. But I tend to write those. Um, <laughs> and they they tend to be... Uh, and sometimes, particularly if it's a, 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 a minister who's new... One of the questions might be, what's their seat? Because uh, really? you're meant to refer yeah. to them as, as yeah. you know, so the, the first thing you do in, as a PPS in a Westminster Hall debate is write down the MPs and their seats because you want to refer to them in the correct way. Uh, mm. And it's just a really elementary thing, but it's a parliamentary process. But sometimes, you know, if two people look alike or someone's coming from a by-election and you've yeah. never seen them before, you might just sort of t turn around and go, who is that? And 
know what the most stressful one is when you get the question of like are they an honorable or right honorable mm. and trying to find that sometimes quickly enough and like i've sadly referenced wikipedia before but i will say it's bailed me out in this, many by the way this is coming up time and time again the one thing that really worries me is a lot of jonathan's research and i don't want to taint all mps with this does seem to lead back to wikipedia <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not, it's not research, James, but I am being honest with the listeners. I am being honest. So, Alex, I think you said earlier, like, it's a general, it's a first run, the kind of PPS role. Like, it sounds like you have to learn a hell of a lot about your colleagues, as Mark said. How are you able to swap up so quickly and learn? It's being here, being present, being in the tea room, being on the parliamentary estate, going for that drink after work, chatting to them about what they're interested in. And then you find out if they have got an interest, for example, in Treasury or in Northern Ireland affairs, finding out that then they're going to be helpful to you in terms of coming to debates, asking topical questions, um, speaking up in the media sometimes as well. If you want a spokesperson from the back benches, not necessarily from the front benches. So it's all about finding out exactly what they're interested in and also what their gripes are. So then you know to prepare for any potential trouble ahead and like Mark said it's working with the whips office so if you are coming up with amendments to legislation you can get ahead of any potential rebellions or anything that could upset colleagues and just being aware of this and feeding all of that back into your to your team and to your relevant shadow minister or shadow secretary of state for me I I listen to that and think how do you keep all of that information you know, when the front bencher leans over you and asks you one of these questions, like, do you kind of keep a log of this or are you just are you guys able to retain it all? Both. Um, so we have a, a spreadsheet of anything that anyone's asked at Treasury Questions ever. Uh, More money for Stoke. So, yes, yours is quite easy. Uh, we, I thought we already owned most of Stoke now. Um, but you it also, mentally, it's quite depressing. But when you see colleagues, you'll have sort of three words that come to mind and they will inevitably be the issues that they're most interested in and because that's the easiest way of remembering things uh, and you have to anticipate what they're going to come up and talk about some some are very good and it's just one uh, and they have one big campaign that they i mean david morris is probably the one that we'd uh, all reference which is this sort of the eden project of the north uh, whether it was pmq's treasury questions dcr you name it it was the one thing he asked for over and over and over again to the point where it was a sort of caricature. But it was the it was a very good bit of lobbying because he couldn't move without people thinking that's what he's about in this building. And Alex, obviously what fascinates me there is you were referencing obviously engaging with colleagues and been trying to be helpful. And as I've shared briefly before, I was a PPS the leader of the House of Lords and I did Northern Ireland under Brandon Lewis. One of the things that we get, obviously, from the government side is you need to get as many colleagues to submit questions in advance to the table office so that we can try and hopefully, if they do the lottery, the draw, we'll have a lot more conservative MPs asking questions, which will be friendlier, is what they hope, and of course then that we chase up. Is that the same system with the opposition? Are you guys encouraging to put in, set certain questions, and also you know, following up of what do you think is it you're going to ask in order to try and lean on you know the shadow minister for example to to maybe go a certain direction it's exactly the same yeah so we will have a for each brief there will be about three to five issues that we specifically want to hold the government to account on or what we we want to probe on so we will pull all our eggs in one basket and ask colleagues to submit questions based on those themes they're of course entitled to put their own question and it could be on anything but it's helpful for you as the pps to know so that the shadow team can back you up and then come come and support you in the chamber on that issue 
But of course, we want to get our topics that we want discussed in questions. It's very limited in time. And also in the cycle, you know, there's so many different briefs that it could be six weeks before you get another round of having having a pop at this or, or you know, pressing the government on a certain issue. So you want the most ba- value for your buck, in, in a sense, and getting the most questions tabled on a specific issue. On the other side of that as well is that the opposition will sometimes call uh, an urgent question. Uh, or they, we may, the government may turn around. You look and like say, you're bearing the scars, Mark, may have from a, the COVID years when you were in base. One, or, one or two, uh, but may have a, a statement as well. And a, another part of the job from a PPS perspective, which is what sort of Alex was just alluding to, there is you want to make sure they're briefed. You want to make sure that backbenchers have the information they need very quickly, so that if they are going to come into the chamber, they already, you know, they have some suggested questions. They have some idea of what they might want to sort of raise. So. Parliament moves very quickly, so we may sit at 11.30 on a Tuesday, but at 12.30 you might get that urgent question. You've only had sort of 60 minutes notice, and you need to make sure that backbenchers are in the room to ask the question, but also that they've got suggested questions and a brief so that they can sort of swat up quickly. And so PPSs have to move very quickly sometimes to make sure that all of these things happen in unison. And with urgent, uh, urgent questions, for example, Alex, obviously on the opposition side, is that sometimes a quite last minute? Are you looking at what's happened overnight in the news and thinking there's an opportunity there? Or is it sometimes you're trying for the third or fourth time to to get it approved by the Speaker and obviously trying to get colleagues to sort of back it with the Speaker's office? Urgent questions is, as it sounds, it's an urgent question. It has to be something that's topical, relevant and in need of discussion in a very short time frame. So it's, it's as soon as we can get that in. It may have been like we've seen with the Sudan crisis recently that we need to ask questions or we, we're pushing the government to bring forward a statement on that. Or it may be that there's been a huge takeover and jobs have been lost in a constituency and that's very timely and that needs a response ASAP. But it is then, as Mark said, about getting bums on seats, getting that information to colleagues so that they're equipped to ask the questions that we need to probe on and get the relevant information. It's a, it's a weird thing, but um, the chamber can really set a tone. Both sides kind of know who's won and lost a session, uh, whether that's a UQ, whether that's a statement, whether that's PMQs, whether that's a, a debate uh, or an opposition debate, whatever it is. You can you get a sense of it. And I think, you know, sort of towards the end of the sort of Boris Johnson government, you could sort of see that there were no Conservatives turning up to be to come and ask questions. There were no Conservatives there to sort of rally behind a, a, a statement or a UQ or whatever. And, and it actually, it just reinforced this tone of this is not going well. And so it's, it's sort of like a constant, I don't know, a, a constant match uh, just with different sessions. Uh, and so if you... As, as a PPS, if you turn around and think no one's turning up to my department and we're not we're not actually winning any of these sessions, you're probably not doing your job. Uh, and so you need to up it uh, and work out how to get that sorted. One of, one of the things that also interests me is kind of you are slightly on the periphery. So you, you go to some of the meetings, but your current brief. So whoever is, I'm not sure the PPS. We don't have current, one. I don't have a PPS. But your, a current brief in that is a big area you've got everything from online safety all the way through to the gambling thing which i think is going to come out soon and mark you you know the briefs that you've covered again are huge issues bays treasury the biggest issues you can imagine and during covid as well how do you as pps's get to grip with the issue because i assume you've got colleagues coming to you going well what, what are we doing on this and when are we going to do that and you've got to retain that but you're not in the department so how are you able to kind of get that information and retain it 
it's it's about hosting uh, roundtables for colleagues, hosting Zoom calls, being available for Q&As, making your minister or your shadow minister available to talk to colleagues, giving them that time, especially if it, it's a could be seen as a, as a contentious issue, like gambling, like you mentioned, you know, it polarises the debate. There are people on all sides of this argument and it, it can be difficult. So it's about bringing everybody in, hearing everybody, genuinely being open to listen and being able to to form an opinion because we are a political party. You know, it's not just one person, although you may have one minister, it's not necessarily that personal view of that minister. It is our party's position and we come to that together. So that's really, really important about sharing that those views and that knowledge and being available to listen. And time really helps because when you first become a PPS, everything is new and you may not necessarily have covered that department. I think as all all backbench MPs will probably have two or three departments where they have a real interest and passion. And it's hard to have more than sort of two or three just for time purposes. Um, but you might be on one of the select committees and then there might be a couple that you've you've got real constituency interest in or personal interest in. But if you get a department as a PPS where you've literally never engaged with them or very, very little, or with Bayes, you might have done energy, but the rest of it not at all you it's a really scary sort of starting point and you you sit behind the minister with the same brief and often that will be 60 pages long and after a while you start to just read them mm. uh, and just get up to speed and the good thing is things come back round again uh, oral questions come back round again so you're having a sort of similar things don't change that much in the sort of six weeks that um we go through as a cycle for questions uh, and so one of the advantages I have is that there's a huge overlap between Bayes and the Treasury in terms of what people are looking to do in their constituencies, similar issues that are coming up. You know, energy is a, a very relevant issue again, uh, but workers' rights or whatever else it was in, in Bayes, the subjects are similar to what they were before. But it is, at the starting point, it's incredibly difficult because you just don't know enough mm -hmm. unless you've been a, a big fan of that department and followed it very closely. And... You know, Bayes, Bay, as you sort of rightly alluded to, was huge. Mm. Uh, it covered a lot of grounds. It really was sort of three or four departments in one. And people forget the sort of the covered science as well. The biggest part of the department in terms of spending was science. Uh, and you, it's almost a sort of forgotten bit of that, yeah. that department. But the other side is, so the Treasury is equally, it could be anything because it covers all sort of spending, really, uh, and all taxation. So you just have to learn and take shortcuts and also as alex said i thought i was nodding vociferously when you said listen and be interested and want to follow those patterns and sort of see if you know if there's something that comes up a couple of times and you don't know be curious enough to go and find out and th this might be a cheeky question but on the one hand you've got a really good idea of what all your colleagues think about various issues what what's what the big hot topics are with your colleagues on the other hand you're spending a lot of time reading the brief do you ever think actually I can make a better decision there or maybe I'd make a really good section of state because I kind of know, I know what part I know what the, my colleagues want and I kind of I'm over the detail now so a bit of you that thinks that probably um, <laughs> think, was that with any particular section no, no I, I think one of the things that I always say about PPS is, is you've got lots of bosses mm -hmm. um, so people think it's just the secretary of state or just the ministerial team it's not Right. Uh, so I always uh, the, the, there's a list, right? So the, the Secretary of State or Minister, whoever you're PPSing, the department is a separate thing to the ministerial team. 
The the department will often want to do things one way. Ministerial ministerial teams will give you a political steer as to where they want to be. But then you have the whip's office. You do have interactions with number 10 and regular meetings with number 10. They will look to you as a source of information on certain issues and where colleagues are. But then most importantly, from my perspective, backbenchers. You know that you work for them yeah. as much as you know as as much as anybody else because if someone is passionate about something or wants something to happen or has a particular gripe, I consider it my personal responsibility to go and try and get that to happen or to help them facilitate the right meetings or whatever it is that they need. And so it's not necessarily about sitting there and pretending you're a minister. That would do an injustice to a PPS role. Uh, and wh- whichever day you might swap between those five different bosses, but you've got to do each of them appropriately. Well, there is one story, though, isn't there, Mark? Because if I remember, there was a certain reshuffle going on at some stage, and you're in the middle of a Westminster Hall debate. The whip isn't there because there's the reshuffle. You're just behind the minister. The minister's had to leave because their phone's rung, and I believe it's number 10, and you're suddenly being told you're the last line of defence for the government you may well end up having to stand up in Westminster Hall and read out the script written obviously for the minister. Like, do you want to allude on that a bit more? It's uh, it's actually worse than that. Um, it was it was a tale a reshuffle through three Westminster Hall debates in three days. The one that you're alluding to was the last one, and it wasn't my department. I was covering for another department, and if you're covering for another department and the subject is perhaps not of personal interest, you may not pay as much attention as you would have done otherwise, and the minister turned round and looked absolutely panic-stricken because there was a withheld number calling them. And they sort of wrote me a note saying, please answer my phone if it goes again. And they got a text saying, no, it is number 10. You need to call us. So they sort of left the debate. And then it dawned on me that if that call didn't go very well, they probably weren't coming back. Um, And so I was sat there having not necessarily listened to every word of the debate (laughs) thinking oh. I might be responding for the government on this. Um, but the first, it was three days, that was the first day. On the Tuesday I was in that room and the minister uh, messaged me 11 minutes before and said, I'm going to be late, can you sit in the ministerial chair? And messaged me four minutes before and said, I'm not going to make it. To which I started panicking quite severely at that point to try and get the whip uh, to appear and come and speak on behalf of the government. And then on the Wednesday I was back, I was with a minister who, uh, and it was as the cabinet reshuffle was going on, was being linked with a very serious job in government. Uh, while and she's turning around saying, "What's happening?" Uh, and I'm having to sort of say, "Apparently, you're going to wherever it was," which turned out to be true. Uh, so that that particular reshuffle was not my favourite period of time as a PPS. And, and Alex, you said earlier it's a kind of bit of a training ground. And now you've got this quite big shadow brief. What are the kind of big things that you take from being a PPS into your job now? It's listening to the backbenchers. It's it's talking to colleagues. It's being available to communicate with them, um, being open to hearing their ideas on the brief and also making myself available to them, you know, doing constituency visits with them, going to speak to their businesses, their stakeholders that they're passionate about. And it's truly, as, as Mark said, I think he hit the nail on the head. The true sort of power here, the true boss of this job is the backbenchers. They truly dictate, you know, whether your team, your shadow minister, your shadow secretary is going to do a good job because it's it's their appraisal that you're seeking. It's their approval. I think it's amazing listening to this and, and actually how the role, and it's probably shocked me, is so similar. 
But obviously, with your case, Alex, not having anywhere near the resource, aka the civil service, at your disposal, having to rely, as you said, on the stakeholders, it's becoming an interesting theme of when we've spoken to David Linden as well, just how hard opposition is and how a lesson for the Conservative Party will be. It's a lot of hard work. Don't, don't, don't want it anytime soon. <laughs> uh, and I suppose Mark's summary of those three days perfectly summed up maybe parts of 2022 uh, that we've uh, been through in recent times. In terms of, obviously, that engagement, you said the constituency visits and, and things like that. How important is that to build rapport? Because, of course, one of the things I found in my time was you also have a duty to, if you really have that good relationship with whoever you're supporting, you can be a supporter of getting them a better job. We all know that as much as we would like always politics to be about how good you are, of course, there is an element of like who you know as well and how popular you are. And, you know, I'm sure there's rankings like Con Home has over ministers of the Conservative Party. I'm sure Labour has, and maybe Labour list there's something similar as well. You know, how important is it to help that minister? Because ultimately, if they go through that journey, if they continue, then that will be someone who can vouch for you as someone who can help you, you know, I would say grab their coattails on the way. That's, I'm a, I'm, you know, I would say, I would say that's how lucky I'd be. But, you know, yourself and Mark are actually very talented colleagues. You know, how do you see that as a way forward for you guys? And look, I wish it was a meritocracy, but sadly it isn't. You know, we all know it isn't. It's about who performs well in the media, who's well liked by the public, who is seen as a strong performer. It, it, it's all of these things that make up a good cabinet or shadow cabinet team because you are governing for the country or you're opposing and you're holding the government to account. And all of these things are really, really important. But ultimately, you want your minister um, or your shadow minister or your shadow secretary of state, your secretary of state to be seen by colleagues to be doing a good job. You want them to be seen by the public to do a good job because that's what's going to keep you in government. You know, we've been working really hard as the Labour Party. We've been wanting to show that we are a government in waiting. We've been, you know, out there talking to everybody. And it's about proving that we're ready to step in whenever there's a general election and, and you know, sort the place out because we're, we're desperate to do so. But that's that's what it's about. It's about making sure that everybody is looking and sounding professional, capable and ready for action. And Mark, obviously, with, uh, you know, the roles you've had and obviously having gone, you know, with Bayes into Treasury, how important was that obviously quasi getting that promotion at that time uh how important was that to sort of harry that continuity has that has that been something you asked quasi if you weren't to get a mr job had you asked to go into treasury with him to be that support to be that voice and the eyes and ears as well uh, as he went into what you know the second biggest job well i, I mean i worked with quasi for i think about two years in base um and we knew each other pretty well and we have very different strengths uh quasi is an incredibly bright eloquent you know sort of very very educated man who has great instincts on lots and lots of things just um, not the economy <laughs> i just i knew as soon as i said that sentence alex was going to jump in but he's you know he's from a very different background to me a different part of the country he represents a very different seat and i think one of the things that worked really well is that um you know we could sort of bounce off each other and, and balance each other out so he'd indicate if he went back into a ministerial role, he would like me to go alongside him. But I, I think you, you can't have a team of identikit-style people. Um, you know, politics is a sort of is a team game, and even within ministerial teams, you will want. If you looked at it in sort of football manager terms, of everyone has different characteristics. Some people are. Very outspoken, Jonathan. Um, some people are uh, very. I don't know what you mean. Some people are very good at towing the party lines, Alex. Uh, and uh, and some people are just really, really good thinkers, James. Um, but you don't make his head any bigger. <laughs> 
you have all of these characteristics and you know if you just had uh 25 brilliant media performers but no policy uh it wouldn't be a very good cabinet if you had 25 brilliant thinkers you know really serious thinkers but no media performers you wouldn't get elected you need a bit of everything and every ministerial team needs to be a balance sort of geographically politically the you know the conservative party as with the labor party there will be a whole range of views opinions styles you know there are some secretaries of state that perhaps aren't that keen on meeting colleagues so you might want to have a minister who's really good at that you always need someone ready to go in and and do a sort of a statement at the last minute who's ready to sort of fight in the chamber that's a big part of the brief but within every team there will be a balance of different things and, and and Alex is right insofar as it's it's not a meritocracy of the very best people going forward but often that's through intention you wouldn't have 11 Lionel Messi's on in one particular team because no one would defend uh you know you need to be able to sort of have a lineup that works across the board I one interesting thing that I would like because you talked about the thinkers and some of the people who think that they are the most important people of government are, of course, spads and pads, of which James is, you know, one of them. And I think James would even reflect that on his time in government, he probably didn't see the value or respect the value that a PPS could bring to the role. And it certainly said to me of the record, but now it's definitely on the record that he, you know, if he was to ever return to government, he would certainly understand the use of PPS more. Yeah, that's true. Out of interest, like what are the relationships? I come to you, Alex, first. Like with obviously in your case the pads. Like what are those relationships like? How easy are they to you know? How easy have you found working with them? Both as out of interest as a PBS, but also now as a, a shadow minister as well. It's um, an interesting relationship. I think you can you have to be in close contact. You know, they are the first person you're messaging around. Right, we've got this debate. Um, what's our top lines? What's what's what we're going to be talking about? So then I know which backbenchers to go to and say. I know this is of interest of you, get you in this. You have to have that close working relationship. It can as well at times be quite fraught, um, you know, going back and especially as Mark mentioned party discipline, that's really, really important. But when the backbenchers want to do X, Y and Z, and that may not necessarily be the direction that the leadership wants to go in or the, the team and that brief wants to go in, then it can be fraught. And you're the person having those difficult conversations behind the scenes with the pad um, talking about, actually, I don't think we should be having an opposition day debate on X, Y, Z. Our colleagues are telling me this is much more important to them in their seats and for voters. So it, it can be um, a difficult relationship, but one that has to be managed very closely. Spads are so crucial because they will see the Secretary of State um, more than the PPS. If you aren't aligned, you need to have the argument with the SPAD. Uh, and if it's still not aligned, then they, you go to the Secretary of State. But you need to sort of try and get most SPADs are not colleague facing they're not mp facing so the pps has a one in one sense a, a source of power uh, but in another sense you are um, also the person with the least access and also you don't have all of the officials and the briefings and the knowledge that the the spads will do about any particular issue and the complications of it so having a good relationship with the spads i'm very lucky i've worked with some brilliant spads who um are very very talented people and i i I haven't had a bad relationship with any of them. Uh, and that's, you know, it's it's the most crucial relationship. Throughout any given day, if I'm sending 100 messages about departmental business, 50% of them are going to SPADS directly. Can I tell you, Mark, having praised SPADS and referencing Football Manager, you've probably just become James Starkey's most f favourite Conservative MP. You know, you're rivaling now Michael Gove, I think it's fair to say. I, I, th I mean, I think you're exactly right. Like, 
you, you said earlier about politics as a team game, right? And I think um, certainly when I reflect, you know, I, w- I wish I'd have spent more, more time actually with MPs and particularly the PBSs. The final question is, Jonathan's a big presence here in Parliament. It, as he tells me, he was a, such a fantastic PPS in the Northern Ireland office. So I'm just wondering for both of you, how much of a role model is Jonathan? How much do you think, every when time, I'm doing my job as a PPS, every time. How, much is, how much of a role model is Jonathan for both of you? I think I'll let Alex go first on that one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you can't ignore Jonathan Gullis, nor would you ever want to. Oh, so lovely. Jonathan is one of my best friends in Parliament and I'm a huge fan and I love him to bits. Um, just to to set up... But... <laughs> but. To set up another podcast, uh, because it's something that we missed without sort of touching on directly. There is the final link between backbenchers and departments and secretaries of state, which is the departmental whip. So every whip will have their flock and they will look after um, those people from a business and a votes and a welfare standpoint. But you also, as a whip, are given departments to look after. And the other crucial relationship alongside the SPADs is a relationship with a departmental whip. Because if there is a problem, if there is something that's not getting resolved uh, and the PPS can't make it happen... The next elevation from, you know, sort of my perspective is to go to the whip and basically put it through the official chain of command in a government sense. So uh, I'll ignore the question on Jonathan again, uh, again. <laughs> but uh, I, I think there's a real question, not just from a people will hear whips all the time and they have these great connotations and it's sort of um, House of Cards style uh, Machiavellian work. But actually, a lot of what they do is alongside the PPS, and albeit with a sort of a, a greater title, and they are responsible for departments and the, the business of those departments. To finish, I'll give two quick, very short stories. One was Mark Fletcher coming up to me as I was a PPS and having to remind me, I've been, I've been speaking to the whips, Jonathan, and I don't know how many times I've told you, you can't keep signing public letters. You're part of the payroll. So can you just show a bit of loyalty to the government because you keep signing things? So, uh, and that was, and the other one was we were once given a lecture by the then deputy chief whip, uh, from about the, the PPSs are technically bound to a certain extent by collective responsibility. I was, so we're, we're technically payroll and, the, and your treat is such, if you were to rebel against the government or rebel against the shadow from bench, you'd have to resign as we heard David Linden did, you know, when he was there. And, uh, we were getting this lecture and Mark turning to me in the middle of the room going, haven't you got like a number of campaigns where you're lobbying the government and basically saying to do stuff? And then like the, the irony of me sitting there and going, yeah, but we all need to be loyal and we all need to stay true to the core. So that was a life lesson. But can I just say, when we ever do these, I know our guests will always be shocked that you could get, you know, what is nearly now 50 minutes out of a conversation. But what you've both shared is so fascinating, so interesting. And clearly the role of a PPS is so crucial. And for any ministers shadow ministers listening make sure you understand the importance of your pps because if you do the right by them they'll clearly do right by you and can help you go a long way in your own career whilst also allowing your party to excel at getting its message out so i want to say a big thank you to mark a big thank you to alex you're we would love to have you back i'm sure in the future and i hope everyone enjoyed listening to that and please as i keep saying need to follow and subscribe you need to leave us a review and a rating and you can follow us on twitter yes twitter at whitehall pod uk are you back on twitter now no the pod is on twitter ah, the right, pod okay. is on twitter i'm having to be pro twitter about the pod but uh but yeah at whitehall pod uk and i hope you will give us a follow